Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and please welcome, from the city that's so nice they named it twice, it's Emily Lind. Hi. Morning, Emily. How are you? Or evening? Yeah, evening for me. Um, I'm doing I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. I'm pumped. Except we have to talk about my yeah. least favourite episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's going to be us talking about an episode that we both hate. <laughs> Yay! It was going to happen eventually, I forgot just how quickly it was going to happen. Yeah, but there's lots of good ones coming up. And it, I mean, it's it's still an interesting episode. It's still... Yeah, I, I enjoyed watching it again, somehow, on some level. Um, so this week we watched Charlie X, which is episode two from the original series. And if you're watching Netflix, it's episode three. And we start off with some crew from the cargo vessel Antares beaming aboard with a, a young boy that's uh, about 17 years old. And we find out he's uh, a castaway they found on a planet. And basically, he was the, the sole survivor from a spaceship crash, and uh, he's, he's been by himself since he was three years old. So straight away, Charlie's he's a misfit. He's a, a very awkward teen, obviously, because he hasn't had contact with people. Yeah. Now, right away, right away, we are getting um, another sole survivor of a crash. Yeah, that's right. So there's a few common themes throughout these episodes. Uh, can we talk about can we talk about uh Kirk's amazing green V-neck shirt? Oh, yes. So Kirk's got the Is that like his um like his best formal uniform? I don't know because it's not I don't know what the like dress uniform looks like in the original series or I don't know if this is his like casual shirt or if it's fancy it's very cool actually because I, I, I know i would totally wear it yeah I, I would rock that too maybe in a blue it's not quite my color but yeah i'd, I'd definitely rock it uh, I, I know later on in a couple of episodes when kirk faces a court martial i think or oh no somebody kirk has to attend someone's court martial and he's got a similar but I think slightly grander um, green uniform. Okay. So the, the captain and the first officer from the Antares straight away seem a bit nervous. They're a bit uneasy. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Charlie, the camera zooms in on Charlie and his face goes cross-eyed and like he's casting a spell on Bewitched. And uh, all of a sudden, the, uh, the captain first officer are, are, are all smiles and they're singing Charlie's praises, saying what a wonderful boy he is and how marvellous and how well he's done uh, living on that planet. They don't say what planet yet, but where everyone, everyone else was killed and he had just a few microtapes to learn from and he learned English and everything. They're saying how marvellous he is. So we get straight away that Charlie's a... He's an awkward, pretty creepy teenage boy that doesn't understand social cues yet. And he keeps interrupting Kirk. He doesn't understand handshakes. Uh, he freaks out when uh, he walks toward the, the door and it automatically slides open. Which does make me wonder what the, the doors on the, the other ship are like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he has, at least for some time, travelled with the Antares. Kirk... He's a good host. He offers uh, hospitality to the, the officers, but they're uh, they're keen to get out of there as quick as they can. He does. He does tell them that the the Enterprise has a large selection of entertainment tapes. Yes, I love that. I made a note of that too. I want to know so badly what those are. Entertainment tapes. So they obviously don't have subspace Netflix in the twenty third century. Yeah, it's sort of because, like, the only thing we'd really see, I mean, in Next Generation, you start to get the holodeck and that sort of stuff. And we know that, like, Klingon opera exists. But I wonder if entertainment tapes are, like, Star Trek TV shows or movies or plays or what? Yeah. 
I know in Enterprise, the the chief engineer, um, he's he's a big, seems to be a big old twentieth century cinema fan. So he watches a lot of black and white movies. Like I can't remember exactly, but you know the likes of The Mummy or the you know, Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. Uh, so the crew are in a hurry to get out of there, and they beam out, which is again pretty suspicious. Uh, and then Yeoman Beehive rocks up. Yeoman Janice Rand with her awesome beehive. It's so great. Of monumental altitude. And she comes to take Charlie to his quarters. But Charlie's never seen a woman before and he just glares at her awkwardly. And then turns to the captain and says, is that, is that a girl? And the captain says, yes, yes, it is a girl, Charlie. So it's, it's very tense and it's very awkward. And then we end up at the sick bay. So we learn from Kirk's captain's log monologue that the Enterprise is taking Charlie to, I think it's Colony Alpha 5, if I got that right. And he's the sole survivor of a transport crash 14 years ago. He's been alone from the age of three and uh, miraculously he's fit and well. And we get a little bit of interaction with McCoy and uh, basically Charlie glares at McCoy and says, uh, do you like me? And McCoy's a bit sort of taken aback and Charlie says, the other ship, they didn't like me. And he's very intense. He says, I'm trying to make people like me. And uh, McCoy sort of brushes it off and smiles and says, you know, most 17-year-olds most do. And then Charlie tries to emulate McCoy's smile and does this big creepy smile. Yeah. I just, this, it, okay, part of the problem with this episode is that this guy playing Charlie is not good. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. I guess that's what they're going for, though. It's a pretty basic, icky character. Like, Charlie is a sociopath, I guess you could feel sorry for him because he hasn't. He was raised without people, so he's not going to get social cues, I guess. Uh, but and he's got a lot to learn. But pretty early on, we sort of get from Charlie that everything is just an object to Charlie. People are objects, um, or and he thinks of you know everything's there basically for his entertainment. What would you do to this episode to fix it? Re recast Charlie? I mean, I don't even know if you can fix this episode. I mean, part of the problem is, it, and they do a lot of these episodes, especially in the original series, which is this sort of like God power kid, you know? Yeah. And I just, I don't know. It's not great. And also, and we'll definitely see more of this later in the episode, but, this is a Twilight Zone episode. And I don't I don't mean in general it's got a Twilight Zone vibe. I mean this is a Twilight Zone episode. This is um what's it called? It's a good life. This is the I'm I'm wishing you into the cornfields. Like this is very specifically ripped off of a 1960 Yeah, 1961 Twilight Zone episode. Oh wow! So it literally is. It's it's literally ripped off a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, a really good Twilight Zone episode. One of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes. But oh boy, how did Twilight Zone do it better? Better actor. It was just it managed to be creepier. It was a younger kid. It the the dialogue wasn't quite as bad. I feel like it's just it's a little too. It's a little too magic for Star Trek. Yeah, and it is definitely the way it made me think of the witch straight away, the way they zoom in on Charlie's face and he he said, yeah, it's always some sort of he either glares at someone or he goes cross-eyed or he you know, gives some sort of intense angry look. And it's just like you hear a sound effect and then it's like he's casting a spell. So yeah, we find out soon that Charlie has some special godlike powers. But he's an emotional teen and he's obviously the worst person to have tremendous power. 
We get a bit of a montage of Charlie cruising around the halls of the ship, trying out his new creepy smile that he's learnt from McCoy. Um, he sees, you know, crewmen just doing repairs and things on the ship and gives them that awkward smile. He sees two crewmen finishing off a job and uh, one of the, you know, it must be knockoff time. So weird. One of the crewmen slaps the other crewmen on the ass. I was I was fascinated with what are these guys doing? Like one of them has this really long, like I don't know if it's a cable or a pole or something that they're just threading through something. And we see, I guess, what is what is like the Jeffrey's tubes, which is sort of the like maintenance tubes on the ship. But I don't know why. I just I, there was something about the fact that they're like dressed differently. I was just amused by these guys. Yeah, so they're sort of in like boiler suits yeah. or something, aren't they? Overalls. I don't know many workplaces where the men slap one another on the ass when they're <laughs> finished the job, but it's cool on the Enterprise. So Charlie's observing basically all of the behaviour and interactions as he goes along. And then he follows uh, Yeoman Rand and uh, miraculously gives her her favourite perfume and he wants to hang out, but Yeoman's on duty and she's a bit, you know, s- slightly uneasy about Charlie, but she agrees to, you know, meet up and uh, hang out with him in in a rec room after the, she finishes her shift. And as Charlie turns to go away, he slaps her on the ass, which, uh, is, which you know, obviously freaks the Yeoman out. And she's like, Charlie, what are you doing? You can't do that. And uh, I guess... Yeah, Charlie's just, he's seen the other crewmen doing that and figured that's how, how humans interact. Yeah, and, and she tells him to, to go, like, ask Kirk or McCoy why he can't do this. Yeah, well, it's not okay. And that leads to a pretty awkward uh, <laughs> conversation with Kirk as I guess Charlie sort of looks up to him like a bit of a father figure. But Kirk... Sort of leaves him more confused, doesn't really explain anything. It's pretty funny, actually. Yeah, Kirk's like, Kirk's whole speech is basically, you can't ever hit a woman in any way. Which is good advice. Excellent yeah, advice. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's a little, yeah. It's just, I don't know, it's such an awkward conversation. And it's so funny how, like, out of his depth Kirk is here. Because Kirk really is trying to be a good dude and also like trying to explain things to Charlie who just doesn't get it. But it's also any, okay. As much as, okay. Kirk not hitting women. Okay. But Kirk giving a speech on being like respectful towards women is never not going to be hilarious. <laughs> That's right. It's pretty, it's a pretty funny scene actually. So we cut to the bridge at some point and we've got the, I think the first time we've really seen the classic brains trust together of Spock, McCoy, and Kirk. And uh, Spock's been doing his research about the planet Thasis, which is where Charlie was picked up by the, the freighter. And uh, there's rumours about a, a, a species called the Thasians that live on Thasis, but uh, no one's really sure if it's true. Um, Spock is convinced, though, that Charlie had to have had help from intelligent life. Otherwise, he simply couldn't have survived on the planet from three. He would have run out of food, etc., etc. Yeah, and I got to say, everybody else is pretty dismissive of Spock's concerns here. Yeah. Which, like, maybe if Charlie had been, like, eight or nine... You could go like you could have McCoy and and other people being like no no you know he would have but three yeah and I guess yeah like it's just a you know one off premise for a pretty B grade episode but the the actual like if you really think about it a three year old being stranded alone on a planet is hor- <laughs> like it's a horrifying scenario oh definitely. So we end... Oh, I love this scene. So, well, I think I like it. It's interesting. Uh, we end up in the recreation room and Spock is playing the Vulcan lute, I believe, which is this cool harp-like thing with a heap of knobs. 
And uh, according to Wikipedia, it's a very soothing instrument. Did you find it soothing? I don't know if soothing is the right word. I liked it. I found it hilarious. I like how when he's tuning it up, it just sounds like some high-tech space, you know, like a technical instrument. It doesn't sound like a harp at all. And then all of a sudden this nice harp strumming comes out. And Ahura is singing away, interrupting Spock, and Spock looks up a little bit annoyed to start off with, but then we get a <laughs> smile out of Spock. I have to say, his his expression when she first starts, I really liked that. I liked that I he was annoyed. That. He's like, what are you doing? Is Spock, is Spock supposed to smile? Have they figured out his character yet? That's that's an emotional response, isn't it? You know, it? I mean, I I feel like they don't quite know. Yeah, that's right, because he is half human. So maybe now and then when he's off duty in the rec room, he lets his guard down and lets out a human smile, and that's him just cutting loose. So Uhura comes along and sings while Spock, plays along and accompanies her and her song, she sings a song about Spock teasing him about how upon the enterprise, there is a man with in Satan's guise with pointy ears and pointy eyes. Um, and Spock looks a little bit annoyed, but he plays along. Um, they're pretty rough on Spock, just paying out on someone for the way they look. <laughs> pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, and we'll get a lot of that sort of thing from, he gets a lot of ribbing about his appearance from McCoy in later episodes. Uh, and then Charlie enters the room and Charlie's looking up and, uh, sits beside, uh, Yeoman Rand and tries to get her attention to show her a card trick, but the Yeoman's busy watching Ahura sing and, uh, Charlie gets quite cranky that Ahura is the center of attention. So after the song's over, the crowd, everybody in the room calls for an encore and then Uhura starts singing about Charlie and uh, Charlie glares at her all of a sudden and then she suddenly loses her voice and can't go on singing. And then uh, everyone's a little bit freaked out, but Charlie um, gets Yeoman Rand's attention again and does an impressive, very impressive card trick where he makes the, the cards turn into... Pictures of uh, Yeoman Rand, which is very stalkerish. Yeah, it's really creepy. Also, I like the fact that this is just a deck of cards. It's they don't. Yeah. It's not like space cards. Yeah, it's that's just right. a normal set of playing cards. The Yeoman asks Charlie, you know, where did he learn this trick? And he, he you know, basically says, oh, it's just something the crew on the Antares showed me." But I like how the when he lays out the cards and they've. Um, become pictures of the yeoman they're all there's multiple poses yeah so wouldn't that, that would probably freak you out <laughs> yeah wouldn't you want to at least like even if you think oh there's some sort of magic card that he can like change the images on wouldn't you at least want to know where he got those pictures yeah where the hell did you get those photos have you been going through my phone so charlie goes and asks kirk about the ass slap and kirk gives that awkward explanation that awkward mentoring talk all of a sudden the comes on the intercom and says the Antares captain is trying to radio so they head to the bridge and they're having trouble picking up the oh but one thing okay wait right before this scene is that when when kirk is talking to the um i, I guess the ship chef or whatever oh yeah and he mentions that it's thanksgiving yeah, that's right. And the chef's only got meatloaf, but Kirk's adamant that he tries to make the, he's got to try and make the meatloaf look like turkey for Earth Thanksgiving. I mean, there's just, uh, it's so weird to hear the word Thanksgiving said on Star Trek. Well, I suppose, yeah, astronauts in space at the moment, <laughs> if they're on the International Space Station, I assume they get a turkey dinner. Well, sure, at the moment, but like 300 years from now? When, when I mean, Earth had basically is totally united. It's still Thanksgiving. It's so strange. 
Yeah, it's fascinating to think about. Do you do a big Thanksgiving? Um, I do it when I manage to get home, which isn't very often. I've heard people say that so obviously where Thanksgiving is a United States holiday. Um, I've heard people say here that it's kind of bigger than like Christmas dinner. Is that right? In terms of the dinner itself, yes. Or at least it's more it's more like uniform in terms of what a Thanksgiving dinner is as as opposed to what Christmas dinner is. Okay, because we tend like traditionally, you know, people in Australia or England, you know, the, the, from the British tradition, they'd have a you know big turkey dinner on Christmas Day. Uh, but Australians, because it's hot as here, a lot of people tend to do seafood or whatever. <laughs> I like a turkey though. Oh, I was say, like Christmas dinner in the U.S. could be. I mean, some people do turkey, some people do ham, some people do like roast. It's much more varied. There you go. No, I, I like a turkey dinner, especially here when it's 40 degrees Celsius and everyone's sweating and then you crank up the oven to 200 degrees. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, so we get that cool little treat about Thanksgiving. Yes, yeah, so the, the Antares is sending them, is trying to send them a message. And Uhura's having a lot of trouble asking to boost their signal. They say it's already at max. And then the captain uh, manages to get out the words, uh, you know, we're, we're just calling to warn you before we get out of range. And then all of a sudden the, the transmission is cut off. And we see Charlie do something and, you know, it looks at first like he's just done something to stop the transmission. But all of a sudden he blurts out, it wasn't very well constructed. And then the Kirk and people on the bridge sort of turn around and look quizzically at him. And then Spock discovers that the Antares has been destroyed and all that's left is debris. So we realise pretty quickly that Charlie has the awesome power enough to destroy a spaceship with his mind and uh, we're dealing with uh, a homicidal sociopath. Yeah, basically. And moody teen. Which is a bad combination. Yeah. And just then the, the chef gets on the intercom to let uh, Kirk know that the meatloaf in the oven has suddenly been turned into real turkeys. And then Charlie starts giggling and walks out of the room. And again, no one is concerned enough about this happening. Yeah, I'd be pretty concerned about live turkeys in the oven. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like they're like alive and gobbling. So some frightening stuff. It was a real, like, yeah, you know, it's a real Halloween type episode, isn't it? Spooky magic on the ship. Um, Spock suspects that Charlie at least knows something about the Ante how the Antares uh, was destroyed. Yeah, you know, I guess if you could suspect that maybe he planted a bomb or did something to sabotage it. And then we see Charlie play a game of 3D chess with Spock. And Charlie loses and gets very cranky. And when Spock leaves the room, Charlie tenses up his face and then melts the chess pieces. Now, apparently that, so the, the 3D chess, is that a real game you can buy? Like somebody's produced it? Yeah. And it's official merch? Yeah, it's out there. Um, I've seen it. I don't know. I'm sure there's an original series version too. I've seen, but the one I've seen is the, the like the fancier set we start to see in Next Generation. Ah, I see. Because I wonder if, like, surely for this this episode, you wouldn't you, you'd assume they wouldn't go into enough detail of actually designing a game that actually works. No, no, I'm sure. I'm sure that was later on, much later on. There must be people that dissect that and try and figure out how 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 that actually means checkmate and then wandering the halls yeoman Rand tries to introduce charlie to a young girl that's actually his own age so we meet yeoman tina lawton and charlie's very rude and won't even talk to her and then uh, turns to the yeoman and says but i don't need her i want you and then goes on this big creepy rant so we get the clear understanding that 
everyone around him is just an object to Charlie. Kirk tries to counsel Charlie. Kirk holds up some of the melted chess pieces and asks if Charlie knows anything about that. And then um, talks about his infatuation with uh, Yeoman Rand and then tries to be the father figure. I guess he does a slightly better job and then takes Charlie down to the gym. I like the opening opening shot in the gym. <laughs> There's women and leotards doing cartwheels. Is that what gyms were like in the 60s? I mean, it's very different to people doing Pilates. I mean, there was definitely a lot. I, was, I believe there was a lot of spandex, but it is just they're just sort of like running by for no reason. Running by and just doing cartwheels and flips. <laughs> I can't see any weights. I can't see any punching bags. Um, and we get treated to a shirtless Shatner in red tights. How do you rate his man rig? I mean, those are some tight pants. <laughs> like those, those cool do not leave much to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to see Shatner's rocking bod, and uh, he demonstrates some sort of martial arts. And um, Charlie's like, "When do I get to fight? I want to fight." And Kirk's, "Well, you have to, you know, you have to learn." to do some flips and things beforehand and then basically calls another crewman up and demonstrates being flipped and then Kirk invites uh, Charlie to come up on the mat and uh, slams Charlie on the floor gently and and, uh, the other crewman starts laughing at Charlie and all of a sudden Charlie glares at the crewman and makes him vanish and then Kirk finally realises he's got a massive, massive problem on his ship he calls security in to escort Charlie to his quarters and uh, he won't go with them. One of the crewmen pulls out his phaser and Charlie makes the phaser disappear and Kirk manages to still be the authority figure and talk Charlie down and get him to walk to his quarters. But uh, it's getting pretty clear that Charlie's becoming more and more defiant. And then uh, the bridge radio in to let Kirk know that suddenly all the phases have disappeared off the ship. So now everybody's unarmed. It's a pretty terrifying episode. As a parent, I've got young kids and a few years' time. I'm not looking forward to having teenagers. So uh, I'm glad uh, none of mine have godlike powers to make me disappear if I need to tell them to go to bed or eat their vegetables. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I guess anyone, no matter what hell you raised for your parents when you were a teen, you've got nothing on Charlie. Spock has been doing his research and he finds out about a legend that the Thasians had uh, the ability to transmute objects or render them invisible. I love the words they use in this. It's like they sort of haven't figured out technical lingo yet in the 60s. I love words like transmute there's a few others, I think later on in the series you hear, it's probably not so much just the word, but just the, the way the actors pronounce them. Like Spock will always talk about the sensor. Yeah, that's true. We have a sensor reading, a bit like, um, bit like the doc on uh, Back to the Future talking about gigawatts. Yeah. Just a little bit off. Yeah, it's almost like they're trying to put their own sort of dramatic spin on it make it yeah make it their own cool dialect i like it um uhura tries to radio colony five but all of a sudden she's electrocuted by her communications panel and is knocked off her chair and uh then the crew lose helm control so they can't control the ship and they can't make radio contact with anyone and they realize a really don't want to take to deliver Charlie to anyone else. Oh, that's uh, the captain's asking Spock for help about all the status of the instruments. And then all of a sudden Charlie walks in and Spock um, can't answer the captain. All of a sudden he just tenses up and starts blurting out this intense, weird poetry. He starts doing, he starts doing the Raven. Is that what it is? Yeah. And there's something about Saturn's rings as well. I'm guessing that's not from the Raven. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe I think the I think maybe the Raven is later. But yeah, it's it's very strange. 
Yeah, poor old Spock. He cops it in this one. Charlie really doesn't like Spock. Charlie won't let them change course, and then uh, he starts wandering, storms off and starts wandering the halls again. He sees uh, the young yeoman, Tina, again and just glares at her and turns her into a lizard. So we basically get a series of things, of well, a series of scenes of Charlie just going on a rampage now. And Yeoman Rand slaps him and then uh, Charlie makes Yeoman Rand disappear. And uh, every time Charlie does something, he blames his victim immediately. She shouldn't have made me mad. Why did she do that? Why did she make me do that? Pretty yucky character. Yeah, it's hard to have any sort of sympathy for him. Yeah. And uh, Spock and Kirk are trying to stop him. Charlie breaks Spock's legs and knocks him to the floor. Announces that he still needs Kirk. And Kirk manages to negotiate with him to to bring Spock's legs back to normal and says, well, I need, I need my crew. Is this where he makes that woman's face disappear? Yeah, not long after that. Uh, I think they, they try and trap him in, in a force field first and uh, Charlie just makes the whole wall to the, the cell they've created, makes the whole wall disappear and just says, you shouldn't have done that. That wasn't nice and just storms off. And then uh, he wanders past another young woman and just glares at her and turns her into an, an old lady and she looks up at her hands and freaks out. I often wonder what it must be like being that actor that's got to play the the old lady where you've got to look at your own hands or your own face in the mirror and scream and be repulsed by the way you look. <laughs> it's pretty horrible, isn't it? It's got to, yeah, it can't be too good for your ego. No, that's right. Uh, and then he walks past a corridor where people are laughing and he just glares at them and says, no laughing. And then all of a sudden he turns... Um, yeah, removes removes a woman's face altogether and she just walks out with blank face, sort of trying to scream through it. That's pretty creepy. That's Yeah, that's pretty horrific. Um, so what do you do for that in sickbay? Uh, that's a good question. I, don't, I think that might be a little bit beyond McCoy's expertise because he is, after all, an old simple country doctor. Yeah. You just rock up, just trying to mumble, I've got no face. Well, for stars, it's going to be hard to find your way to sickbay. Um, if I was McCoy, I'd just be handing out sedatives, <laughs> just knocking everyone out for a couple of hours until they sort this mess out. Kirk figures out that... Uh, so basically, Charlie's using his mind to control the Enterprise, but he's struggling. He seems to be at capacity, and um, they notice that he's he's stopped killing people since he's taken control of everything on the ship. So they figure out if um, Kirk has the idea of let's turn on every system possible and that way we'll you know, keep him as busy as possible and basically overload his mental capacity. And while they're doing that, the uh, Thasian ship arrives and uh, finally manages to get a message through. And we see one of the Thasians giant green faces appear on the bridge, a bit like the Wizard of Oz. And uh, he basically uh, explains that uh, they had helped Charlie. They gave him these special powers in order to uh, help him survive when he was on the planet, and they didn't realise he'd escaped. Uh, so they basically said, you know, he's, he'll always have these powers and he'll always use them and uh, it's not safe. Uh, and they, they say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll take him back with us. And Kirk, even after all uh, Charlie's put him through and put the crew through and, you know, it was pretty clear that Charlie was going to kill them when he didn't need, it any, didn't need them anymore, um, Kirk still tries to argue for Charlie and says, you know, he, he should be with his own kind and, you know, we could we could take him back and we could train him how to, how to behave properly and, teach him how to not use his powers, but the Thasians say, no, he'd, he'd end up destroying you or you'd uh, you'd end up having to destroy him to save yourselves. Um, so Charlie does an awkward protest and all of a sudden he wants to be, all of a sudden he's um, 
claims to be best friends with everyone on the Enterprise. He's like, please, my friends, stay. I want to stay. Please help me. And uh, basically stumbles back so he can conveniently get all the other people out of the shot before the special effects shot. (laughs) And he's like, no. And then all of a sudden they beam him up and he fades out or whatever technology they use. And Charlie's gone. And everyone on the ship is pretty messed up. Oh, and they do, luckily, they restore everything on the Enterprise uh, back the way it was. So we get Yeoman Rand back on the bridge and uh, assume that poor girl gets a face back. But uh, we, we, the, the Thasians say they unfortunately they're too late for the Antares, so there's nothing they could do for those guys. And everyone's pretty shaken and worn out on the bridge. So it's a pretty full-on episode. Yeah, you know, I don't like this episode because I just think that, like it's just not very well done. But I will say this is two like fairly like bleak episodes in a row. In terms of, I yeah. mean, last week, you know, you have McCoy finding out that you know this this old love his life is dead, and you have like there's creature impersonating her and like him getting really messed up in the head over that yeah and there's no there's like no like happy resolution there and yeah the enterprise is restored here but you know you get you know like this kid just gets taken back to this planet that he's like screaming don't take me back there and he's trapped forever with his godlike powers this is an odd choice when you're scheduling this season to put this episode as number two, I reckon. Yeah, because in, in production, it's like six or seven. Oh, really? Yeah, because on, um, on the Star Trek uh, Memory Alpha, I believe, I believe they, they had it listed as so production-wise, it, it was later. So yeah, it, do, it does seem like an odd choice because it's such a... It's not like a oh let's go explore a planet. It's not uh, let's get further into who these characters are. It's so focused on Charlie. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's not an episode. They wouldn't have had to build any new sets or anything to do this episode. So it is almost like one of the cheaper ones you'd slot in, you know, toward the end of the series. Yeah, you know, it would have. I would have thought it would have turned a lot of people off. This is only the second. Might even, yeah, for for a lot of people, might be your first introduction to the show. So yeah, not a great episode. Um, I think still some you know some pretty interesting themes raised in it. Yeah, and and again, I think I, I think we see some interesting stuff from Kirk here in terms of how how he really does want to help Charlie. And it's trying to be patient and trying to explain things. Like he's not very good at it, but he is making a good faith effort. Yeah. And he's you see, yeah, he's always patient. Even after you know, it was pretty clear Charlie was going to destroy all of them, he's still, you know, willing to try and help him. Which I guess uh, we get that good Starfleet quality and good just good Kirk quality. But yeah, I think uh, I'm glad to see the back of this episode, and I look forward to next week. Next week we get the the, the second pilot episode, don't we? When no man has gone before. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how that feels. You know, three episodes in. Yeah, and to see, yeah, whether it's action packed. That's what the executives were wanting. Any other Star Trek news or fun stuff this week? Hmm, I don't think so. So we know that um, the new season of Star Trek Discovery is in production at the moment. So I'll have to find out when we're due to get that on Netflix, but with a bit of luck we might get something later in the year. Uh, The new Lost in Space uh, just appeared on Netflix. Have you watched any of it? I, I, I've just caught a bit. I snuck a bit in while I was having breakfast, and uh, it looks pretty good, actually. From what I saw, I, I was invested anyway. I'll at least go and check out the first couple. Have you seen any yet? I haven't, but um, 
uh, I sort of want to because the trailer was pretty good, and there's there's a couple of actors in there I really like. Very cool. Yeah, I didn't. Who who should I? Which actors should I watch out for? Um, the actress playing the mother is oh man, what is her name? I can't remember her name, but she was on um she was on Deadwood, and she was in House of Cards. And then oh, cool. I believe, I believe Parker Posey is playing, like, maybe even Dr. Smith. Like, I think Dr. Smith is a woman. Oh, really? I know oh, she's cool. in the show anyway. And I that might, let me double check that, because that might have just been somebody telling me the wrong thing on the internet. Yeah, no, yeah. She is. The, the first thing that struck me about it is, is visually it's it's looks amazing. It looks beautiful. And it's just, it's yeah, it's amazing to sort of see how far TV budgets have come, uh, especially when we're coming from, you know, the original Star Trek. Uh, but it looks like, you know, it looks like a great um, sci-fi movie, and it's very dark, um, as most things are nowadays. The we're getting a dark, grittier start where we kick off with the the, the actual. Um, spaceship crash. So, yeah, I look forward to watching a bit more of that. Tarantino is going to direct the next Star Trek movie. Is that right? Supposedly. Like, as of right now, anyway. Wow. So, are we going to get... Is it... Does, uh, like, Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams' company, have anything to do with it anymore? I'm not sure. Um... Doesn't look like it. And Tarantino's not writing it. Okay. He's just directing. So it should be in normal the story should be in a normal sequential order then. <laughs> Probably a little bit less swearing. A bit less swearing. A few less rants about McDonald's burgers. Can't remember. I've it's been a couple of years since I've watched Pulp Fiction. Oh, I go back to Pulp Fiction a lot. That and Reservoir Dogs. But yeah, I sort of, I sort of wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that movie never happens. Yeah, it sounds like a really, sounds like a risky pairing. Well, you never know. Um, has Tarantino done much that's not his own stuff? If that question makes sense. Like his his genre seems Tarantino's genre seems to be Tarantino films. Well, it's you know it's that mishmash of the old like grindhouse, yeah, stuff, and then pulling in, depending who you ask, either influence or directly ripping off. You know, he likes the the pulpy like samurai stuff and yeah tarantino just does tarantino films yeah so this would be the first time he's branched out and done like a, a completely different hollywood movie like he hasn't he's never just decided oh i want to take a break this year and direct lay Miz with russell crowe no he's never like it's always been a tarantino film yeah. So I kind of want to see it. Yeah, it's a pity that probably won't happen. Did you see Hateful Eight? Yes. I loved it. Actually, that surprised me. That was a bit of a change in that for probably the first three quarters of the movie, there isn't a single death. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's a shitload of death. But it, I've, yeah, it was quite a different movie for a Tarantino movie, or I thought it was. I mean, like, there's still a lot of. I mean, the dialogue is still really Tarantino-y. Yeah. Yeah, lots of monologues. Who Who else would you like to direct a Star Trek movie? I, man, if you could get Ryan Johnson to do one, I'll watch any movie that Ryan Johnson directs. Oh yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, I love The Last Jedi. I'd I'd love to see um, Noah Howley, who did uh, the Fargo TV show, and he's doing Legion right now. I bet he could do something weird and interesting. Yeah, cool. Because at this point with Star Trek, I sort of just want I just want them to try things. Like I'd rather have an interesting failure than a boring failure. Yeah. Would you would you want them to continue on the rebooted timeline? The alternate uh, timeline. I mean, I mean maybe. I mean, maybe, but I think you can. I think at this point, you could just do. You could just. You don't have to stick with the crew. Like you could just do a new ship. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if we need a discovery movie yet, because that's that's, I guess, what they've done traditionally. We've had a TV series, and then the crew from that series gets some movies. What was your favorite of the the next generation movies? Uh, first contact. Yeah, that'd be mine too. They're like, what's the what's the first one with um, with Kirk in it? Generations. Generations. Sorry, the title of this podcast should be Mick asks Emily questions about everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I Why like do you Generations. Know I don't. I don't know if that's really a very good movie. Like First Contact, I think is a good movie. But I think Generations, as a Star Trek fan, is a really enjoyable movie. Yeah, it's a nice movie. It's an interesting movie too, you know. The whole Kirk living in this... I can't even remember what the phenomena is that he's trapped inside. Isn't it like the event horizon of a black hole or something like that? Kirk lives in the... A nice log cabin in the woods and he's cutting firewood. Yeah, and he's got horses and Yeah, pretty surreal. Wonder what a Kevin Smith Star Trek movie would be like. Annoying. <laughs> I mean I I like set, set I in like... a convenience store on a on a space on Deep Space Nine. I like a lot of Kevin Smith stuff, but there's a lot of it that I don't go back to because I know I won't like it anymore. Yeah. That's right. I, I really like Clerks too. For some reason, I think I think it's pretty funny. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of terrible, but it's also pretty funny. Like funnier than it had any right to be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was just it was just a nice movie. There's something. I enjoyed it. So maybe each week we should audition a new director to, to direct a Star Trek movie. There we go. Very good. Thank you very much for podcasting again. Do you have anything you want to plug this week? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I should plug. I do a Star Wars podcast with my friend Brittany. And that is Which called- is awesome. Oh, thank you. And that is called the... Hi, Brittany. <laughs> That's the Cantovite Dispatch. And I just, like, five minutes before we started recording tonight, um, a new podcast I've been recording is now up that I do with Rashad and Jared, and that is Pod of Future Cast. It is, in general, it's going to be an X-Men universe related podcast but right now as season two of legion is on we are doing uh weekly episodes as the show airs so check that out awesome i'm gonna have to check that out i i know basically nothing about x-men so this will be a good, good way for me to get into it i think i played the the Sega Genesis game back in the day. That's about it. <laughs> that's that's a good start. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know how I missed X-Men, but I have. I'm aware of Patrick Stewart in X-Men, and that's about it. So you're a podcasting powerhouse. Thank you very much for uh, giving us time out for He's Dead, Jim. Oh, I love doing this. So cool. Thank you very much. It's good fun. 
And that's about it for this week. Uh, if you'd like to email us, our email address is he's dead Jim pod at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for at he's dead Jim pod. A special thanks for our theme music. Our opening theme is by Sylvan Clue from Paris in France. Uh, very exciting. Thanks for that. Uh, and uh, check out the link to Sylvan's YouTube channel on uh, on the episode notes. And he's got heaps of very cool rock covers of themes and songs and stuff. It's awesome. And thank you very much to Yvonne Jacques from uh, Quebec in Canada for our closing theme and our background music. And uh, the link to Yvonne's YouTube channel is also in the episode notes. And he's got heaps of very nice jazz covers of... Uh, awesome themes and songs so check out those channels very cool thanks very much uh have a wonderful week emily you too enjoy your week in the alpha quadrant everybody and uh we'll see you next time do we have a sign off (laughs) no (laughs) bye this is the sign off bye bye (laughs) very cool I reckon one episode we'll get something quirky happens and then we'll get a sign-off out of it. Yeah. Until then, we have no sign-off. Bye. (laughs)